Welcome to this episode of the show. Today, I have the first ever episode where I'm actually interviewing two people at the same time, and it is absolutely for selfful reasons because they have been recommended by Garen and Blair, who you might remember, Stephanos and Christine. Stephanos appeared a very long time ago on the show, and several other of my like couple goals couples. So I really wanted to know why. Why are these people so highly recommended by my favorite couples on earth? Oh, and Ajit and Nita. Like they seem to have worked with every couple I love in real life. So we're going to dig in today and kind of figure out what are the secrets? Like why are all these people so incredible and why have they all worked with you? <laughs> so to begin, Monica, why don't you tell me why you think all of these couples are Let's start with why are they so amazing and what have you taught them specifically? Wow. Well, it's interesting to ask the question about many couples and they're all differently amazing. So I'm not one to really categorize things. I really am like the minutia and the detail. So I would say that for some of the couples, they are eccentric and they're very different from each other and so what I provide for them is a bridge to be able to understand each other in a new way and have common communication that they otherwise would just cross paths and cross channels which is a lot of what happened for Jan and I early in our relationship so to be able to provide them with tools and the feeling of you're not wrong for being you who you are is magical and magnificent. And even though your partner seems like they're trying to change you, that's really not what they mean. And let's clarify what they really mean. What does that tend to be? What do they what tend they to What they want to change? Yeah. So let's let's take an example of like an amazing couple. Because I know if we get into all couples, yeah. the range of answers is All over intense. the place. Yeah. But maybe even with yourselves. So you've been married for a long time. You have three wonderful children, right? And I've heard you talk about them a lot when the thought comes up and this maybe it doesn't come up for you anymore but when the thought comes up of like oh jan's trying to change me mm. what's the reality when you when you hear yourself say that i know you're probably like oh oh that's a, a flag for myself how do i redirect this or, or what's the actual frame that you take i want to ask her a question before she answers that <laughs> <Yeah>. question okay <laughs> um when was the last time you heard me you had that thought jan is trying to change me I think it's the other direction. Okay. I Am that, I trying to change him? Yeah. Mm. I think forever in our relationship early on, yeah. it was I'm trying to change him. And I think that probably before, um, probably before we started doing work really is the last time I heard you want to change me. But so, you never said it. Okay. He never said, I really wish you would be different or change. He would just say things about how he'd like things to be and it was very clear that wasn't who i was or how i did it so so your translation when that would happen how would you frame it now let's just say now and then we can go back to how you would do it then so now well first of all it's just not even part of our paradigm in our marriage well, well that's what i want to say Mm -hmm. So part of the reason why I think we work mm. is that is not, that's, that's like, you could ask her, when was the last time you had the thought Jan should be a pineapple? Like, <laughs> she's like, I don't know. I haven't. So I believe that like 
we are excited to grow. Mm. We're excited to learn. We're excited to shift. But we, I don't, as far as I'm concerned, and that's why there's two of us so she can speak as well, like I have no desire for you to change. And I never have the thought I need Monica to change. I love it. I love it. So there's been a big evolution to this, it sounds like, right? At one point, that was a thought. And you've gotten to a stage or to an understanding or accepted a mental model of reality where that's just not the thing. So then you probably remember saying things like that back in the day, right? That I would like her to change? Well, not necessarily you said that, but you'd be like, oh, couldn't you just clean up the bathroom a little bit on a daily basis more and your makeup is everywhere? Like what she was saying, like little things. So here's what's interesting about our relationship. Yes. Um, I believe that like I, tr and, and I probably can come up with some examples if I really think about like, I wish she did these things differently, mm. but. Well, I have an example. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I adore her. Yes. And like, so she's been the one as she is. So do you disagree? A little bit. Okay, so good. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> so early on in the relationship, I was very um, dominant, very dominant and borderline aggressive. There was a right way and there was a wrong way and mine was the right way. And everyone else's way was maybe somewhat right, but mostly not. And I felt that it was my duty and my job <laughs> to tell people what they needed to do differently so they could have an extraordinary life. And what that translated to is, I would highly scrutinize and judge what other people did. Now, what I came to learn and where all of this healing and all of this opportunity came was, that was my own insecure and my own judgment that I was projecting and placing onto them. And every time I would point out someone else's flaw, what I was in essence doing is if I could help them, maybe inadvertently I would be helping myself. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing because I didn't have the tools and I didn't know. And I was a child of a parent who did a lot of that. Mm. A lot of, you know, make up for everything I didn't become, be the best this, be the best this, be the smartest this. And if you don't, the consequences that I'm going to go help someone else. And he did that. So the experience for me was I don't trust that when someone loves me, that the love is unconditional. I trust that when someone loves me, there's something I have to do to prove that I've earned their love. So I looked out into the world to help people never have to do that. For me, it was survival. I wasn't trying to tell people what to do and make them feel wrong. I was trying to help them avoid that feeling that you have to prove yourself in life. So let me give you all the tools and all the advice and all the suggestions, and then you'll be perfect. You won't have to prove yourself and you'll be free because that's what I wanted. So I meet this guy and he seems relatively free in his life. And I'm like, this is weird. Like you were so structured and had yes. so many ways that you did things and so particularly did things. And then he's like, I just love people. I love people. Life is easy for me. I write for joy. Whatever happens, happens. It's no big deal. We're going to make it through. And it was like, your crazy world doesn't work that way. What are we going to do? And so I thought, well, I better help him. <laughs> no, of course. I better help him. He's so happy and joyous. He must not be seeing the realities. Yeah, let yeah. me let me try to attempt to mess your life up so that you can really see what's underneath the, the mask that you're wearing. And there was some of that. We did discover some of that, but that should never have been my plight back then, but it was. Yeah. So there was times where I would feel like 
he didn't like the way I swore. He didn't like the way that I was friendly. He didn't like the way that I would flirt. He didn't like the way that I would talk to people. He didn't like the way that I would tell people what to do. He didn't like that I had certain strong opinions. He didn't. <laughs> there were things that were so uncomfortable for him. Yeah. And so I felt like, well, buddy, this is who I am and you better be okay with it. And so there wasn't a, there, there was an edge. Like it was like that. And so he felt like, I need to walk on eggshells to make sure this broad is happy <laughs> because otherwise she's going to rip me apart. That's that's what I remember. Long ago. So here's the thing about me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I live in the moment and I may say something at the beginning of this conversation and totally contradict it by the end of the conversation and because I've changed my mind or I've remembered something. Yes. Okay. So she's right. <laughs> So there's no doubt that there were some things early on in our relationship that I was like, I hope this can change. Mm. So like she said, mm. um, Monica is very friendly and, and she is a lover and she hugs and kisses. Since you met her yes. or, okay. And, and I was not, I was not comfortable with that at first. And I didn't know that. This is such an interesting dynamic that you're pointing out now because while you say when you met you had all these structures and rules apparently he did too you just didn't see them as structures and rules you were very free-flowing and had lots of structures and rules <laughs> yeah yeah well my structures and rules were based on looking good mm. so she was doing things that maybe might not make me look good and so that was not great for me mm. Well, early on, I think both of us felt the experience of judgment from our parents. My mother judged that everything I did was great and you worked too hard. And my and that wasn't punitive, but it was her experience and observation of me. And my father was like, it's never going to be enough and you need to always do more. Mm. So I'm going to make sure that you know, good, you did that. Here's the next thing you need to do instead of, oh, good, you did that. That's awesome. So then that translated into... It's never good. So then when I would look at him and look at others, I would look for what's not good yet, as opposed to this is great. And he, he would look for this is great. And I'd be like, what are you doing? You're settling, let's keep going. So I think that dynamic caused some of the friction. We also, his parents actually had a strong opinion. They were immigrants, as was my father. And everything in their life was survive, and provide, survive and provide. So they would survive these crazy experiences and what they wanted for their children was provide. So then he was like, I'm provided for, this is all good. And my father was like, no one's gonna provide for you. <laughs> so we come together as real, like many in many ways, polar opposites. Mm. And we had no tools to navigate that at the time. So there was a lot of, bumping up against each other and ripping each other apart and tearing each other down and not knowing how to lift each other up and fighting for how right we were about the way that we saw the world. You know, I gave him an ultimatum. He didn't want to hold my hand walking around campus when we were dating. And I said, you either hold my hand or we're done because you're telling the world that I'm not yours. And if you claim that you want to be with me and I'm yours, then you need to demonstrate that to the world. And he's like, why do I need to demonstrate that to the world? Don't you know? Isn't that enough? So there was a lot of black and white back then. Yeah, nonstop. 
very interesting. By the way, I took her hand. You ended up, and I, know, and I never let go. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, like you said before, when you said that you change your mind often. Just generally speaking, she's right. <laughs> so what's the? Uh, there is a sign that I, my cousin had in her kitchen. It said, "Rule number one: the wife is always right." And rule number two: if rule number one, if she is not right, please see rule number one. <laughs> so I definitely believe happy wife, happy life. But I don't believe she's always right. Mm. Um, I believe we always come to agreement. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. I don't. We don't live within a context of right wrong. Mm. So Blair mentioned that there's this thing that that her and Garen do called redo, mm-hmm. right? Where they will back up 10, 20 minutes into whatever was happening for them. <laughs> Literally, physically back up and do it when. It's obvious that there's a disagreement and you both want to come to an agreement. What are your tools for that? Our tools are conversation. Our tools are reflection Mm -hmm. and truly being heard. Mm -hmm. Um, So someone's in the heat of the moment though. Yeah. Like she's really, really engaged. Yeah. What do you do? So, um, and do you rehearse this ahead of time when everyone's calm no. so that they can be ready for that? Well, here's what's great is we coach couples. Mm. So it's really easy to say, hey, you're doing this. You're doing the same thing that we just saw in the previous conversation. Isn't it interesting that the universe just served us this conversation that we both could see it? So then that way, when we're demonstrating the same characteristics of that conversation or that disagreement, we're able to go, oh, we just had this conversation. We can use these tools on ourselves. Yes. And you're open to that. So if you're in the heat of the moment and he says something like that, you're like, okay. Well, well, hold on. You said, oh, yeah, not always. <laughs> there's multiple scenarios that Jan and I find ourselves in and what we're really attuned to. So we've, I met him when I was 18. And when I was 18 years old, I had no idea about the world. I really didn't. I really, I was an old soul. I was in a new environment for me. This life on this planet felt really new and really foreign. And I felt like... She's not talking about college. She's talking about Earth. I needed to control the environments I could control to feel like I was producing an outcome. Because when I grew up, if I produced an outcome, I got love. And if he didn't produce an outcome, I got reprimand. So I related at an early age to in order to handle certain situations. My father was unbelievably a yeller, a hitter, a volatile... So I got real good at either being very quiet and waiting till all of that chaos subsided. So I didn't fight back until it was about someone else. When he would get that way with my sister or my mom, younger sister, I remember when I was 10, he walked into my sister's room. He starts yelling at her. I come out of my my room like a fire-breathing dragon is the example that I give. I rip the door open. I say a 10. I have a 10-year-old right now. She's this small. She's looking right up at me. I can only imagine what it would have been like for my dad. Fire. You will never yell at her like this again. Get out. And I went and I pushed him out of the room, slammed my sister's door, 
And I was like, we're done with that. And it was like really a pivotal moment in my relationship with my dad because I began to realize I had a voice. So I dealt with that chaos and that juxtaposition of big energy. So Jan and I don't have that typical couple when there's big energy, we just fight and yell and we don't do that. However, it sounds like the awareness that you got then at that 10 year old moment is part of the early challenges that you guys faced when it was about like anything that he said that could possibly be taken as aggression or as right and wrong. You were like, hey, you're doing that thing. I'm going to do the push you away thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And at some point you got the awareness of that, that you were doing that and you took responsibility for that. That's huge. Yes. So it was literally we went we were in our first year of marriage and we decided that we were not going to make it. And I had pretty much felt like we had done everything that was possible. You had felt like we, there was everything that we had done possible. And this is before we met our relationship coach. And we were just feeling like it's the end. And a friend had done a weekend seminar and said, if you're already feeling like you're done, why not use this as a last stitch effort? I'm like, I have no fight left in me, fine. So I go to this weekend and you start on Friday and by Saturday midday, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have destroyed my partner. What a horrible person I've been. And I'm taking notes, thinking about all the stories over the last eight to 10 years of our relationship and our romance and our together and off and together and back and realizing, oh my gosh, I hope I haven't permanently damaged him. I felt so much regret, remorse, resent for myself. So I came home that night and I said, I don't know how to apologize to you, but I'm so sorry for everything I've done. And he's like sitting in bed, excited for me to come home to hear about the night, having no idea this was about to be the foray into the beginning of transforming our relationship. And what did you say? Well, first of all, I wasn't excited. That's not accurate. I was nervous because I didn't know if you were going to come home and go, we're done. Or I had no idea who you were going to be when you mm -hmm. came back from this transformational workshop. Mm -hmm. um, I was just confused. I, if I remember correctly, I said, like, what's going on with you right now? Are you still Jewish? Or or did they give you drugs? Yeah, he like asked, literally. Like, did like, they give you drugs? She was literally speaking so differently, like her whole mindset, like everything that she believed in was suddenly different to the point where she could say, I blamed you for everything that uh, I've, I've been, I'm blaming you for everything that's not working in my own life was just completely out of left field, right field, whichever is the appropriate one to say, just out of nowhere. And she was saying other things that I'd never heard before. And it was like, what's going on? Is this still Monica inside of here? That sounds incredible. What was this workshop? It was the Landmark Forum. Yeah. Have you ever heard of it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So at that time, it was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And so I was in the day where they talk about choice. And all of a sudden, I realized I had never chosen him. What had you been choosing? Me. Mm -hmm. Or the fear of who I needed to be for everybody else. Okay, so I have a big question here. Yeah. There's couples watching right now, 
and, and singles too, and people that are dating that are probably inspired in this moment. I'm inspired in this moment. And I'm like, wow, that's truly incredible that you could shift so quickly. Is there a single question that someone could ask themselves? Themselves, very important that it's themselves and not their partner. Yes. <laughs> Is there a question that they could ask themselves that you've found could spur them to these types of discoveries? If they are finding that they are unhappy in about other people or about situations in their life what's the singular question that we could format it doesn't have to be short it could be a long question you could give context i just am feeling a moment where we could probably set something up really profound and powerful right here that what is the singular line of thought that someone could ask that could create a moment like this do you have an answer okay good you go first and then yeah. i'll jump in yeah so 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 ponder okay so it is multiple tiered. So the first thing that I would say is, are you willing to consider a miracle could happen? That would be the first thing because until I'm willing to even consider that it could be any other way than the way that it is, there was no way that it could be any other way. So are you willing to consider it's a, mir a miracle is possible? Not that a miracle is gonna happen, but that a miracle is even possible. So, so one might need to understand, well, what's my definition of a miracle? So a definition of a miracle is an unexpected outcome that's available beyond what you already know. It's possibly in a blind spot. An, un an, an attainable possibility that currently isn't in your bag of tools, your set of awareness. Second part of the question is, are you aware you have choice in everything you're doing? Because if you don't realize that you're choosing this, you're choosing fighting, you're choosing dissonance, you're cho there's a part of you, there's some part of you that's choosing some of this chaos. And what if you could choose something different? I wasn't choosing Jan. And the moment I realized I was not powerfully choosing this man and all the ways he was and all the ways he wasn't, we were never gonna work. Also, I needed to choose me. What does me need that's holding on so tightly to how he needs to change that I could potentially be giving myself that I kept wanting him or the world to give me? So the third part of it is how are you responsible or taking ownership for the outcomes in your life? And I think if that, that would be the beginning of shifting someone's way to relate to the world they've lived in up till now. Yes. Beautiful. I was going to say the third one. Mm. What I find so critical is owning your part in the relationship. So often it's out here. You're doing this. You need to change. You know, you hurt me this way. You made this choice. And there's no ownership for who are you being that maybe is having them be how they're being. And it's like, once you change, then I'll change. Mm. And, and it's like, well, if you could do the work on yourself first, and then you'll be amazed potentially by the miracle of how they change. And you didn't even have to ask. You just did it here first. And then they show up differently. Yeah, so I hear this all the time. I, w I would love to just, I'm going to throw out the belief and the, the conscious thought that comes up with this and just deconstruct it and figure out what the evolution of this is. 
it has to go both ways. Yes. And what what people say and what you just said is that if I do my side of it and I take as much responsibility as possible, like I've done this for, I, I did three months of that where all I did was take responsibility and apologize, right? Then the other person potentially doesn't necessarily have to go down that road if, if you do all of that side of it. So there's a couple parts to this. Yes. Both people have to be willing to do the work, mm. typically. So let me give this context. Well, do you agree with that? Am I going to, I just, I take it back. See, ooh, I take ooh. it back. I take it back. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to speak on our behalf. Okay. Yes. We both were willing to do the work. Okay. The reason why our relationship works so well is because I just love her. And so everything that I do and think about for the most part is she's taken in consideration and she just loves me and everything that she does for the most part in cons has me in consideration. Well, and there's a principle of spiritual psychology that says seeing the loving essence and heart-centered listening. And so underneath everything that he does and I do, we've agreed. So there's the basis upon an agreement. We've agreed that underneath all of it, the intention is loving. Even if the words out of my mouth, the look out of my face, the tone, the body language, even if it demonstrates anything other than that, it's probably that I need to work through something. There's mm. probably some sort of trigger or ownership over here I need to take. You're triggering it and I'm dumping onto you. That's probably what's happening. So if I know no matter what, he loves me and I'm inside of myself lovable, then my work is... Sorry, let's repeat that one more time because that's really critical. Okay. So if no matter what I know, he loves me and I know and I'm willing to own that I am lovable, then I can receive the love. I can recognize the energy is something that got triggered, something that's off. And I can compartmentalize. I know he loves me. <sighs> I can breathe. I'm okay. I'm not, you know, the worst thing on the planet and, and we hate each other and we're venomous and we want to burn each other's faces off like fire breathing dragons. I'm going to put that over here because there's something we need to work on. That doesn't go away. You still have to work on it. I'm not in la-la land and spiritual bypass and we're not working on it. But what becomes apparent for me is what inside of me just got blasted? What do I feel so insecure, upset, sad, frustrated, angry, hurt by? What do I need to give myself to be okay in this moment as I'm walking through that experience? Mm. And, and often what it requires is Let's say I explode on him. Let's say I get mad at him. Let's say I get hurt by him. Let's say I get frustrated and I yell. We do that. I, I'm human. I, I yell. And he holds in a space of loving. Even though he feels triggered and upset, he doesn't go there and meet my energy. He just holds. And maybe I go more because I'm trying to trigger him to yell back at me or to get back at me. And he holds. And then eventually I get the point. And it's like, okay, Monica, come on you know that he's being quiet because if he says something, he's going to maybe want to regret what he said and he actually loves you. So go inside and deal with yourself. And this is a dialogue. Literally, I'm saying it under my breath because that's what's happening inside of me. I go inside 
and I start reconciling with the voices in my head. What does he really feel? He loves you, okay? I don't have to worry about Jan right now. What do you feel right now? I feel misunderstood. Great, do you need to ask him to understand something? No, I need to understand it first. Great, what do you need to understand first? This is all happening inside of me. So when we work with people, we work on helping them learn how to externally dialogue that way by writing and journaling, work with their partner on externally dialoguing that way so they can hear what it sounds like to have an interchange. And then we teach them how to have that dialogue with yourself. Maybe you're looking in a mirror, maybe you're on a notepad, maybe you're talking to yourself like I'm demonstrating right now. But I think what I've gotten to is this deep acuity to be able to process really quickly inside of myself what do you need? How do you get it? Who do you need it from? Can you ask for it now? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not ready to ask for it because I'm mad, I'll sit in the car the rest of the ride <laughs> in the body positioning of I'm upset because with my arms crossed and my wall up in my world. I'm having my moment, but I'm not anymore dishing my moment over to him and splashing onto him. I'm keeping my moment here. And I'm working on loving myself, forgiving myself for judging him, being mad at him because there's guilt when this man who I know loves me, I wanna rip his head off. I feel bad about that. And I want him to get me. And I wanna understand why I wanna be gotten so badly and why I don't feel gotten. So all that is happening in that one moment. Wow, and the most critical thing that I'm sensing here is this overarching or underlying or understanding idea of we love each other. And I want to dig into that a little bit before I go to this next line of questioning, which is what are your practices for that? Because I could imagine in relationship, you might need to maintenance that a lot. You might need to dust that off all the time. You might need to wax that. What are your practices for maintaining that understanding that you deeply love each other beyond anything that happens? So the first one is identifying your love language and making sure that you're doing what you know your partner's love language is. On a regular basis. On a regular basis. It's like working out. We're, so, so we're both guys here. Yeah. Is it like a twice a week, five times a week? Like what's her love language Like that she likes to receive? By the way, she's smiling because I'm... <laughs> She may feel like I haven't been doing it enough. <laughs> I'm not thinking that right now. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, I would say, well, I mean, look, if you can do something every single day, that's extraordinary. Awesome. So that's the goal. So that we could set that as the, the ideal is like I'm considering doing something every day of her primary love language. Yeah. Can I call it unconscious competence? Mm. So do you know, mm-hmm. is our user base aware of what? competence and unconscious competences. Yeah, we could we could define it. Do you want to do that real quick? Yeah. So there's an idea that you know how to do certain things because you've learned them or because you've mastered them habitually doing them over and over and over. And you're consciously aware of that. So that's called conscious competence. I can do it. I'm competent at doing it and I'm conscious about it. At a certain point, you've done something enough times, maybe your 10,000 hours, your perfectionism, your mastery or whatever you call it for yourself. And it becomes unconscious. You don't have to think about doing the act, think about doing the thing. It's naturally in your toolbox. You just wake up and it's you're resourced by it, is what I like to say. So 
I believe that Jan and I have a certain level of unconscious competence in certain things that we have practiced in our marriage for 22 years. So her love language is acts of service. Mm. My love language is words of affirmation. And he's just so wonderful. <laughs> so great. So look at you. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, but here, here, here's what's tricky about the whole love language conversation is if it's not your love language, it's often not natural to you. It's not your way of expressing it. Right. So because you like words of affirmation, it's very casual for you to give them. I tell her how beautiful she is. A hundred times a day. Not kidding. And it's like, huh? I take out the trash. It's foreplay. <gasps> change the light bulb. I always use the example. Yeah. Change the and light bulb. And then for you, you're like, I do something helpful. And he's like, thanks. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> I love it though. But it so it could be small things. So typically every morning we go do a hit workout. If every I, morning? A mm, couple times, like three, four times a week. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I did have that question. And I'm glad you answered it because you're both like very wellness you know we are well so we we want to be around a long time for each other for our family um we also try and live well-rounded lives we practice what we preach in every area yeah. and and so i think that there's a little bit of that and i say a little bit there is an out of integrity if you're talking about love but you're not loving your body Mm. So good. So yeah, good. That's so, so good. good. I got that, that was great. So I've got to ask um, a, a tangent that came up, and I'd, I'd like you to just run with this a little bit, or just explain it. You said something that really stuck out that I want to remember, and that's why I'd like you to run with it is resourced. And you said that very particularly, and I have not yet heard that in my life before, and I think it's a wonderful idea. Can you talk me through that? Yeah. So there is an experience that most people have that they don't have the tools inside of them to handle all the things that are coming to them. And so they're at a net loss to start anything, a net loss to start a relationship, a net loss to start a new career, a net loss. There's something about them that they're, they need to earn or they need to do. And a lot of people feel this. It's very rare that I meet someone that's like, I got it right out the gate. I got it. So once you understand that you actually have all the resources inside of you, you are the resource, you're resourceful, you have it, you have access to it, and you start learning how to develop an awareness, an affinity, and a connection to it, you have access. And if you do that and you live a life that is that, you emanate that into the world without having to do what most people think they have to do in order to be resourceful, to, to receive and gain and give from their overflow. Another thing to say about this, so there's this idea of masculine and feminine. And some people think that because they're women, they're feminine, and if they're a man, they're masculine. But I have learned and believe that we are all the duality of so many things. We are made full of polarities and dualities. So we all contain, from my belief system, the masculine and the feminine. And there are very appropriate times to pull up the masculine, regardless of gender. And there are very many times to pull up the feminine, regardless of gender, regardless of any way that you relate to yourself. 
So the feminine is the energy of nurturing and nourishing and kindness and tenderness, but it's not directed. It's all over the place and it can be easily misinterpreted because it's not focalized. And then the masculine has this direction to it. So there's a pointedness when you talk about a resource. It's a repeating of source. You resource it's again and again, I'm being sourced, I'm being sourced. So how do you be diligent? How do you be attuned to what's sourcing you? What's the energy? What's the vibration? What's the desired outcome that the source gives you? So the, the refinement for me as a being is if I can understand what I seek to source myself with in the environments and moments of my life where I'm in relationship to someone or something, I'm going to trust that I have what it takes to navigate what is in front of me. And I will be more confident, I will be more available and more alive as I do that interaction. But if I doubt what's sourcing me or I don't have access to connection to that source, whatever it may be, then I doubt myself, I lack confidence, I search probably outside of myself, and I'm very influenceable. Mm. And then I sometimes lose sight or sense of who am I. And then I get really mad when other people think they know me better than me. That becomes the experience that one has. So that's why I shared that. I'm so glad I asked. Thank you so much for that. So you brought up another thing, which brings me to another line of questioning, which is abundance, right? So having that resource happening all of the time, when it comes to finding an ideal partner, you know, Garen and Blair, Ajit and Nita, Steph and Christine, right? Jan and Monica. When it comes to that, I think a lot of the time, what I hear from people is all the good ones are taken. You know, I'm never going to find one that's like blank, 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 blank on my list of things, whatever it is, right? And I kind of want to bring it back for a minute to something you said earlier and then open up this question. The bring it back is the first question I would ask anyone in this position is, are you open to a miracle? Are you open to like miracles could happen, right? And how you define miracles so wonderful to me, which is something outside of your current awareness. Are you open to the fact that there could be a human that you are completely unaware of that might be outside of your social circle that could enter your circle, right? That'd be the first clarification. And if you can say yes to that, then we can go down this line of questioning. And this line of questioning is, what would be your recommendations and what would be the green flags that someone would be excited about and look for in a potential Monica? Well, what's a green flag? So the green, I'm sorry, green flag is go. Yes, versus, green okay. flag is like, yeah. wow, that is a very, very good sign and I'm gonna continue to move. If, if, and let me clarify, if they are looking for that level of partnership. Yeah. So I have to tell you, you're asking different questions that I'm used to, which I love. And so I'm gathering my thoughts okay. and Monica's talking and then she's giving an answer and then we're moving on and I'm not able to answer. <laughs> and I've got like four questions answered from that, from this conversation that I haven't been able to do yet. I always say the best experiences, the best conversations always end at the peak. Like the, when the energy is really high or building even, you move. Wow. And that is a really 
good, I would say, life lesson for most people. And, and I could be wrong about that. I think when the energy is amazing, when a song is at its greatest is when the DJ switches. He doesn't wait for the energy to drop. He gets you into the vibe of it and then slowly transitions to the next, to the next. And before you know it, it's 4 a.m. And you're like, whoa, that was an amazing experience. Or like Joe, right? He doesn't end on a sour note. He ends on, we went to Joe Rogan last night, comedy thing. And he ends on like a belly laughing, hysterical moment. And you're like, oh, I wish there was more. But that's why it's so good. So I love that you said that because it falls perfectly in line. The project manager in me sees incomplete (laughs) cycles of action. Mm, And we're tangent people and you're a complete loop. We're open loop, closed loop. Yes. So I'm having a whole experience right now. (laughs) It's a surrender. Surrender, allow, and enjoy. Yeah. So I have a few different answers to the question. I'm just going to flow and we'll see what comes forward. So the first one is... I think it's so important to be able to, when you're with somebody and time flies, like literally when you can, I I used to work in Hollywood and I would read screenplays and I read a line somewhere that said like the person you're supposed to fall in love with is the person you can go shopping, you can go grocery store shopping with Mm -hmm. and have a good time Mm -hmm. because that's really what life is. Life is really about, life is not the trip to Hawaii or like the super exciting, amazing thing that you do every now and then. The peak states. Yeah. More often than that, life is the stuff that is just the day to day of life. And if you have someone that you're able to do that with and it goes quickly, it's joyful, it's fun, then that's a big green flag for me. Um, I also know because we have been together a long time. She is not the person that I fell in love with. The person I fell in love with was how she described very different in terms of her emotional uh, and mental state. By, by the way, that. by the way, it's only uphill from there. She, she, she's only describing like those elements. She was fun and spunky and wild and gorgeous and all of those things as well. Great sex, you know, all the things. <laughs> all, all the things. All those things, okay? <laughs> but she was going to be a doctor, and I was in. I was at UCLA Film School. I was getting a master's in screenwriting. I was going to be working in Hollywood. Like, we were clear of our path. We are so far from that now. And we've lived multiple lives along the way. So who you are with is going to be a totally different person down the road in terms of who they're being, in terms of what they look like. Physically, you change all the time and, you know, over time for sure. And so, like, what are the things that you really connect with? And are you in alignment in terms of your morals? Are you in alignment in regards to having fun? And if, if you're with this person in a relationship, are you both willing to do whatever it takes, whatever the work is, in order to grow, in order to deepen in the relationship? Consistently deepening in the relationship, consistently choosing how do we make our relationship even more love-filled? So that's how we made our relationship work. That's so wonderful. So you mentioned something in there that I would like to clarify. And it's so funny, you mentioned the open loop, closed loop earlier, because the way that my brain works 
is I have an infinite amount of open loops every time you have a sentence that you say. <laughs> so I'm very comfortable with them and I have to be because I can only choose so many to chase until the time is up. So that's why it's always so exciting. So then let me ask you, you said we've lived many different lifetimes together. And when I, when I, I don't mean like past lives and things like that, I mean, we can get into that later, but I really mean like as the eras of life have shifted, right? A lot of couples, they'll hit the end of an era and, and kind of feel a new era coming on and feel like they've changed so much, right? When is it, okay, let's, let's separate and build new independent lives. And when is it interdependency and, and with each other? And, oh, sorry, I'm going to throw one other grenade out there that we can catch later, which is codependency, whether it's real or not. And so we'll get into that. But for now, what's your philosophy around staying together through those eras? Well, I mean, we're in a new era right now. Like we moved big new era and so we moved to austin and are in a totally new era um so i thought that's where you were going with the question at first um because i love we have gone through multiple eras and we made a specific choice we're going to create a new era and yeah, we didn't wait for it to come we were like now yeah here we go so when do you choose to stay together or when do you choose to grow apart so first of all, I can never, as a coach, we never answer that question for anybody. So obviously what we do is we ask questions and have them ask themselves. And so the first one is, do you see a future? Like, like I never saw a future without her. I didn't know how we were gonna get there, but I saw us living a life together. And often couples, they're like, I don't see it anymore. So that could be a big red flag. Well, and by the way, yeah. along our journey, there were many times I didn't see the future anymore with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you? <laughs> yeah, because there were moments where I felt like I was growing, he wasn't. You know, I went and got my master's 10 years before he got his master's. And I felt like... Am I willing to put up with another conversation that's going this way? Am I willing to choose him again? Am I willing to experience that he just doesn't understand this part of me or this desire that I have? And what kept me was that when I needed to go to explore something, and I'm not saying I went for a year, but I would go for two weeks or I would go immerse myself in a women's retreat or I would go, I went to Peru without him for two weeks, two and a half weeks. He never said no. He would express to me sometimes, I wish that you would, you know, want to go with me or that we could do it together, but I understand you need to go and do this work now. And because he gave me freedom to choose what I needed to do the way I needed to do it, even though it may have tipped his fear meter of, oh God, you're gonna go, what if you come back and you tell me that you're going this direction and I'm here waiting for you loyally and lovingly. And I, I would always reassure him like, whatever we're meant to work through, we're gonna have whatever we need to, to work through it. I trust that, implicitly I trust that. But I didn't always know that he was gonna be in my future. I didn't always know that I wanted one partnership. I wasn't that clear about that for a long time. And now I feel like, 
you know, we talk about all the possibilities. Well, if I don't want one partner, does that mean that we bring in other things into the marriage that we have? Well, if I don't want one partner, what, you know, like it, we never, I never went and pursued, well, what does that mean? And let me go explore and I'll get back to you. It was like, we talked and we talked and we talked about it so that it didn't become, okay, I'll compromise and let you go do what you need to do. And be waiting here feeling like the fool it was okay i hear that you're challenging the paradigm that we are right now here's here what are the pros what are the red flags what are the green flags what are the cons what what do we see is possible and do we really need to explore this right now or can we buy a little time and see if the exploration just requires us to grow or change and i think we've done that really well i think i i think i've challenged the relationship Tell me if you feel differently, but I feel like I've challenged the relationship in that way more than he has. And now we had this big thing in my book happen recently, and I got really clear, like I'm in a new phase that I want to do life with Jan and explore myself by his side, even if I'm doing my own exploration in an experience versus I'm going to go, Jan, have an experience and come back and share it as best as I can. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, so Jeffrey Allen has this idea of spirit mind and material mind. Material mind is like, do, 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 figure things out, a lot of of action. And spirit mind is a lot more of like being in it and just existing. And growth happens through existence rather than accomplishment. Sounds like material mind, spirit mind is what I'm hearing consistently through this conversation. Is like Jan is like kind of showed up as a certain way, as a certain allowing when you met and that that allowing has grown and you've you've not had to do as many things and had your growth where she is like do 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 like studying, reading, she's more active in that way, is that true? I think we flip-flop over time in our relationship. Different eras. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I want to my my cycle of action brain wants to address a couple of things. Can I do that? Absolutely. Okay. So the first one is you were talking about some of the couples that you've interviewed and that, you know, so we're referencing and, and I actually, I just, cause I'm a rule follower. I haven't worked with Ajit and Nita. I mean, I know them and I've worked with them in business, but I haven't worked with them on their relationship in any way. So just want to say that. Thank you. Yes. Um, all of those couples, if you looked at the characteristics of those people, it's unlikely that you would look at them and go, oh, they're a match. I That's mean, true. Like, That's true. Not. Like, That's actually true. I would agree with you on that. They are all very polarized. I mean, Garen and Blair and and Christine and, and Steph, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he's in the outback or, you know, he's like, you know, in the woods and she's, and, like and in, she's and in the Four Sanitas. Seasons, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, so... So it's not a, for me, like what makes those relationships work and what makes our relationship work is a commitment to make the relationship work. And the excitement of polarity. I do think there needs to be some sense of polarity. If you were like me in any way, I'd have gotten bored in five seconds. But I am like you in a lot of ways because we live a life of love. I think we carry the same values. Okay. I don't think you operate in life the way I operate, but I think we carry enough of the same core values. And we, the other thing we're willing to do is, so we do this thing every year for our marriage that's called the context for our marriage. Mm. And there is, uh, 
we, we go on our anniversary or the week before or the week after and we take paints and pens and big those big post-it papers and we write down what are the tenants of our marriage for this year and a big tenant that tends to make the list almost every single year is discovery every day what is something about you I don't know because otherwise I'm going to potentially get really comfortable putting him into the boxes I feel comfortable with him in but I don't want to do that I don't want to get bored with the boxes that I'm put in I don't want him to get comfortable and and not titillated or tantalized to, to investigate who is this woman why did you say that why did you do that why are you wearing those clothes those are different than what you've worn in the past why do you feel that way about yourself that's so weird I don't feel that way about you and I think that that's probably also another key to why people that are are polarized or uniquely themselves do very well together because there's something inside of them that's curious about the other and in order to complete that other thought one so yes 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 mm -hmm. and one so they choose to make the relationship work and two if the relationship is not working they're willing to take their own personal responsibility and do the work on themselves mm. in order to bring that new loving version of themselves to the relationship in order to make the relationship work. And if mm. they don't know the work to do inside themselves, they call us. Right, right. <laughs> so it sounds like I'm taking away many, many awesome things. And one of the big ones is that the context or almost like the prefacing or the agreement at the beginning of building emotions for each other and in the very beginning of a relationship is really key where you said like at least for you right you gave me last night the example of your parents that have been together for how many years now i think what what do we say 58, 58? yeah 58 years and they and you use this word a lot adore each other and i remember you exaggerating that word and making sure it was very prominently displayed that adoration is such a big part of the vocabulary and the energy of these couples, right? They all adore each other and adore. It's a very strong word. I love that word almost as much as I love wonderful. <laughs> so, so then context is very important at the beginning of a relationship. I want to, I want to go to I don't to know that. about the beginning. I don't know about the beginning. And throughout, it sounds like throughout, too. You're giving sure, context throughout But at the beginning, I don't know if you, it depends on how mature you are in relationship in general. Yeah. I, I don't think a door happens at the beginning. Well, so the, the point I was bringing up with context is like in the beginning of the relationship, you were looking for a relationship like your parents, something that could grow through eras of life, yeah. right? Sure. You were wild and didn't necessarily have that. And you said it took a long time for you to get to the point where you decided one partner is the thing that I want. How long is a long time? Like how Ten many? Years. Ten years. Okay. And you got married at how many years in? We got married, well, we fell in love in 1992, and we got married in 2000. I was 20 and 28. So right around the moment of marriage is when you made that decision. No, I would say two years into, two <laughs> yes. years into marriage, so got 10 it. years. Got Eight it. years of, of so, so So this goes so to your earlier way, by, point. By, by, yeah. by the way, the Jan who wants to look good, yes. does this does not mean that there's multiple people in the relationship. It right. means her heart's like, I'm not sure. Yes. I'm not sure that he is the one. Of course. Or that I can have one for my whole life. Right. 
So I needed and, to clarify that. So you made that point earlier where, and, and so I guess this answers that question, which is really interesting that you did that inadvertently is, does it take both or could it really just be one? And in this example, it was you that had that context and held firm to that. 100%. I know, it that's why him. as soon as I said it, I was like, I just disagree with what I just said. Yeah, it was him. <laughs> it was him. He held, he taught me that I was lovable in the way that he loved me. How he kept loving me and showing me what it looks like to love someone regardless of what they do. It was like he was the first person that didn't let even his own judgments of what was right and wrong and looking good taint what I was. And I'll tell you, all his friends said, she's the worst person. You do not want to marry. They wanted to protect him. They, they wanted to throw me under the bus because I was so unsure from my own series of things that were my traumas and my wounding growing up. I wasn't sure how to decipher, are you the one? Because I had been raised in environments where my aunt and uncle had a challenged relationship, my mom and dad had a challenged relationship, my older cousin and her husband or boyfriends had a challenged Like all I saw was relationships are hard. So why in the world with this guy that had this airy fairy love for me, why would I trust him? It took a long time for me to get on the page with him. And, and unfortunately the way I did it was I tested him. I challenged him and I tested him and I wasn't sure and I was in and out and it was awful for him from my perspective. If I had been in his shoes, I would have been out immediately. Mm. But it was his tenacity and willingness to love through it all that taught me I was lovable through it all. And now I've like feel so loved. And when my friends and, and clients say, how do I know? I say to them, you'll know. There will be a feeling that you know that you are loved. And you can foster love. It may take many different shapes and sizes. It may take different iterations. It may be codependency sometimes or not. But there's a sense that you have that you drop in like, I love this person and I love the journey of diving into the loving and creating loving together. And that doesn't mean perfect. Like we say to people all the time, we choose each other every day. I wake up and say, this is the man I want to do today with. I don't say forever. Uh, Harry Connick Jr. has a song forever for now. I'm with him forever for now. Why? Because that feels really good for me because it doesn't pigeonhole him to have to be with me. It doesn't pigeonhole me to have to be with him. And so then we naturally are choosing and that feels really solid. So I have a story to tell because it feels like there's so much like how hard she's been and how I've just loved her. <laughs> and thank you. Babe. Yes. And she went and got her master's degree in spiritual psychology and completely transformed herself and her life and her business and everything. And it wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I just wasn't ready because it was a financial investment and it was a time and I was doing business and all of this stuff. And I was suffering. I was suffering because I was living life the best that I could because I had a lot of training, but I still had a lot of negative voices in my head and I still had a lot of stress and I still was living a suffering filled life rather than the way that I saw her living life. And I just didn't know if, you know, I, I didn't even know that I was suffering. 
because it was just how I knew life was. It's just doing the best that I can. And then I went and got my own master's degree and I was in class and it was either the first or second month where I started having some of the big transformations and awarenesses as I was learning this the curriculum of a love-centered life. And I came back to her and I said, I never knew how much you loved me. To be with me with all of the stuff that she saw because she had this new training where she saw my limiting beliefs. She saw how I was getting in my own way. She saw the stuff that I was projecting onto her and the creating difficulties in our family if I'm in a bad mood or for whatever reason. And for nine years, she never said, you need to fix this. You need to change. You need to go get this degree. She just loved me and loved me and loved me and let me have my journey and then when I finally did it myself, I was like, I don't know how you were okay with that. She was like, I just, you would, you were going to be ready when you were ready. Thank goodness you're ready now. And I had a lot of tools to do the work when I wasn't okay with it. Yeah. Wow. So I have a feeling that there's some big picture principles that you try to instill in all of the couples and people that you work with. If you were to just bullet point those principles for me, the big macro ones, what are those? So Monica said one of them, which is seeing the loving essence. You know, the four agreements talks about don't make assumptions. Don't take things personally. And don't take things personally. But we actually say there's one assumption that we're okay with you making. I make the assumption that every single thing that she does and every single thing that she says has a heartfelt intention. It's a an intended to be a loving action. The only time that that doesn't happen is because she's hurt and she's therefore being defensive. But otherwise, and by the way, that's still heart-based, but it's a hurt heart. But everything so if anything that she says or does doesn't feel good to me then i check in and i go hey sweetheart when we were out and you said this or you did this that didn't feel great to me but i know that everything you do is has a loving intent what was your intention was it how i perceived it or was it a different way so seeing the loving essence in everything that your partner does is one of the keys. Another one is the idea of a lens. We see the world and our perception of the world creates our reality. So if you see what's broken, it's gonna feel broken. If you see what's beautiful, it's gonna be beautiful. Doesn't mean that you don't have things to work through, the doing, but there's a sense of if I know that the, if I wake up in the morning and I see the world a certain way, and it's not the way that everybody sees it, it's the way I see it, but I think it's the way everybody sees it. I'm going to go through life trying to convince everybody of the world that I see. But if I remember that I have a lens and when I feel really staunch about something that I believe in, if I can challenge, is it the only way that it is though? Even if it's my strong belief, is it the only way that it is though? Am I the only one on the planet that believes this or do a lot of people believe this and we're all right? And so we have the concept of take the lens off for a moment 
and get a sense of other people's lenses, get a sense of any other way but the way you see it, and perhaps multiple, so that you can create a flexibility in your neurology, then you're more accepting of the growth and change you're going through, the growth and change you're asking your partner to go through when you're going through things, and the opportunity to come to agreement even when you're out of alignment. So lenses are a really big part of it. We got more. Please. So uh, another one, which often comes up in if there's a disagreement, is would you rather be right or would you rather be loving? So there are times, there have been times where she will be like, you never texted me this. You never told me that. And I'll be like, no, 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 I did. She's like, you never did. And I know that I can go get my phone and show her and be right. And then who knows how our relationship will be for the next who knows however long, or I can just be loving. And so there are times where you know, when, when there's a disagreement, you asked, how do you handle disagreement? How do you diffuse it? There are times, so we call that ping pong. And what happens often in arguments is like, you did this. No, you did this. No, you did this. No, you did this. And you're just going back and forth. And it's like, it doesn't even, the conversation or the disagreement is often not even about the content of what started it anymore. It just becomes a blame and shame conversation. And one person has to just catch the ball even if they know, if they're, if they, even if they think I'm a hundred percent, I'm right. I didn't do anything wrong. Still, would you rather be right or be loving? Catch the ball and go, okay, tell me what you want me to hear. What is it that you're feeling right now? What is it that you want me to know? And then I reflect her. So she knows that she feels heard. She feels gotten and understood. And then is there anything else that you want me to know? Is there anything else that you need me to hear? And you keep asking and you keep asking. This was a big one that we shared with Blair and Garen because they would get to the, the issue, but there was more underneath. And if you don't keep asking because you assume that what your partner said on the face value was it, you don't get to the base of the conversation. So by asking more yeah. and more and more, you get to the root and you give the person permission like, oh, they really do want to know. And when I'm listening... I'm not listening from a place of what did I do wrong? I'm listening from a place of this is her experience. Her experience is that I was a jerk. Her experience was that I did this. Her experience was that. And it's not necessarily my truth, but what matters is that that was her experience and I never want her to experience those things. So now she would hear that I got her experience and maybe if it feels right, I go, can I share with you what my experience was? And she might go, yes, I'm ready to hear it now. Or she might go, not yet. <laughs> and we do that. Not ready yet. Give me a little time. Mm. I'm still, th thank you for hearing me. Thank you for getting me. Thank you. I see what you just did. You just reflected me. Okay, I know. Well, you got the tools. We coach people. Thank you. And I just need a little bit of time. And then with a little bit of time, and then it's like, okay, I'm ready to hear your perspective. Beautiful. Do you set weekly time aside to because you know another thing that garen and blair mentioned was parking lot yeah. like if you don't have time to go through the layers of these things you have mutually agreed ahead of time that you can set a future time to to talk these things through do you have like a running weekly time well we don't disagree very often anymore <laughs> right 
We really don't. And really, really now when, when we do, unless we're out in the world and we can't handle it then and we park it, we really handle it. Like, like I remember when I did the Landmark Forum as well, the Landmark Forum leader talked about getting off of it like this. Like, how do you like just move on? And the thing that I love all of Landmark education and I found it to be very cerebral. So it's just kind of switching. And what I love about what we learned in, at University of Santa Monica with spiritual psychology, it's not just, okay, let me just divert my thoughts, but also there's feelings attached. Cause sometimes when you're diverting your thoughts, you're, you're negating or not paying attention to the feelings too. So we have learned how to, if something comes up, how do we just get it in every realm as quickly as possible so that we can get back to the loving as quickly as possible? Because that's where we want to be. It doesn't feel good to stay in the upset. And if we know that there is an upset, it's just a misunderstanding. And this all predicates on the context of this ultimate loving that you're consistently working on and the context of the entire relationship, which is your principle number one, what was the line again? Seeing the loving essence. Seeing the loving essence. Every, everything that she says, everything that she does. And everything that you say yes, and you do. Has a loving intention behind it. And you're always checking yourself with that, I would assume as well, as you're like, did the thing I say just have a loving essence? If it, I'm sorry, that didn't have a loving essence. Can I rephrase that? And you could like ask yes. that, yeah? And we believe the principle upon which we believe relationships are grown by is you are love. Not I'm discovering love, I'm falling in love, love's gonna happen to us at some point. You are the essence of love. I'm the essence of love, you're the essence of love. And anything that's not loving is on top of, it's an influence. So how do you move through the influence, heal the misunderstanding, clarify the judgment, release the shame, blame, or self-repudiation or the self-criticism so that I can be in my loving essence. Because if we're loving beings with each other, there's not space where love is for conflict and judgment. But it's when we cover the love up, we deny it, we forget it, we get convinced by the external reflection from other people's opinions or ideas, that we forget our inherent nature. So we remind each other of our inherent nature as a daily practice. And it's an unconscious competence. And we do it with our children and we do it with our clients and we role model and we role model and we role model and we role model. Wow, we really hear that you feel this about her and that you feel this about him or, and could it be any other way than the way you just said? Can we start with, what are you hearing that they're saying? What are you hearing that they're saying? So that we're at least on the page where each person independently is validated. Because we believe that it's not this person and this person in the relationship that's to blame and that's the problem and that when a couple comes in, they have to be the ones. They are great how they are. They have their own set of rules. They have their own ideas. They have their own beliefs. And their belief, if they're just running their life, isn't wrong. It's their belief. Who am I to say that your belief is wrong? But when two people come together to form the third person or entity, that's called relationship, each one of them is filling this third part 
and defining what this third part is. So you can fill the third part with love and it will demonstrate it loves the love and here's what it get, then feeds the individuals back. But if you fill hate, resent, blame, criticism, contempt, stonewalling, all those things that turn relationships away from each other, relationship will fizzle like a flower that doesn't get water and sun. So the work is fortify the individual so that they're clear about who they are. They're clear that they're not broken. They're clear that there's nothing wrong with them inherently. Teach them about their resources and what is sourcing them. And are they getting the fulfillment, the joy, the happiness, the loving, the sex, the connection, the all that their creativity, their expression, their contribution. Are they filled and whole in their world, health, body, vitality? And then if they're not, how do they serve that and, and work on that so that when they pour into the relationship, it has every possibility of flourishing. So all these tools that the parking lot and the reframing and the reflecting and the turning around and the resourcing, all these different things that we give them as tools is simply so the individual is better able to navigate self. So they're better able to pour into relationship. So relationship is better able to flourish. When people fall in love with you and want to learn a lot more about all of this in you, where do they go? How do they stalk you digitally? <laughs> so um, we have um, a YouTube channel, which is Jan and Monica. And I'm so excited about this because it's been <laughs> a dream come true. We built in our home a little studio. So we literally flip the switch and go live. And if you enjoyed this, this is what it is. Like we, we just talk, we just talk, we just talk and we just share about our lives. And then we share about the tools that we are using on a daily basis um, to navigate our lives. Cause we, we've done so much work on not judging ourselves and, and we love being transparent even though I was very aware of like, okay, hold on. I want to still make sure that I'm looking good, right? I'm still aware of that. And I, and I did some little inner dialogue of not judging myself along the way, just so you know, some of that was going on. And so we have a YouTube channel where we're, we call it the Rich Relationship Show. And so we do a couple of things. One, we go live and we share about our lives and then we share about the tools that we're using in our own lives to navigate. And then we're also doing coaching sessions with people because we found we do these coaching sessions with people and they're magical, mm. they're transformational, and they're the only ones who got to experience it. And it's like, private behind closed doors to protect their confidentiality. Mm. And we want to serve as many people as possible. We want to transform the planet. We want to eradicate self-inflicted suffering from the planet. We want to help people. A million lives free of suffering or the t having a million, tools. A million. Well, the world, but let's start with a million. I mean, you're usually the one who's like, Jan, come on, kick it up a little bit. Yes, we want millions. We want to transform the planet to really learn that you do not have to have thoughts that make yourself suffer, that you're creating those thoughts. So we're also doing coaching sessions where we're working with people, and that's also the Rich Relationship Show. And it, even though it's called Rich Relationship, and we do work with couples, and our primary focus in our in our in our coaching work is with couples. Everyone has a relationship. Your relationship with yourself, your relationship with time, your relationship to death, 
your relationship to your job, your relationship to money. So we talk about all things relationship. That's so beautiful. Thank you for doing that. I'm excited. I'm going to, I'm going to tune in. I, I feel like I've gotten so much out of just this conversation. I'm sure they have too. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really just a pleasure to, to be able to deep dive and get all my questions answered. At least for now, I've got a lot more. So hopefully we can do a round two and I'm, I'm just excited. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank it's you. It's such a pleasure. I love the way your mind works and I love the questions you ask and it, your questions created questions inside of me. So mm. I love it. Thank you. And we're doing a program that's starting just starting tomorrow and it's a weekend program and your questions brought me back to how this one weekend changed our lives and it really made me so excited because we're doing all the work to prepare for it and so I'm in the doing of it. And I forget that these people are gonna have these transformational experience. So thank you for helping me and us reconnect with what our purpose is. Mm, my pleasure.